Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. want to quickly pray. Uh, Dear Lord God, I thank you that we aren't here by accident. We thank you that you have a word for people today, Father. I thank you that that you're going to speak, Lord God. Please let me get out of the way and let me be a vessel for you, Father, to speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you that don't know me, my name's Luke. Uh, I moved here recently, a few months ago from Sydney. Um, I, I help out with our youth group here. Um, And I believe that God has a word to speak today, that He does want to speak to you and He he wants to put something on your heart. So today we're going to be talking about faith and grace. Uh, I have two little girls. I have a daughter, Delilah. She's almost two. And I have a little girl named Freya. Uh, She's about six months old. And I want to read a scripture, but before I do, I want to sort of set a scene. Uh, I just want you to imagine me standing in the pool and my two-year-old daughter, who can't yet swim, is standing on the edge of the pool And I'm telling my little girl, Delilah, jump in and I'm going to catch you. Jump in, daddy's got you. So just imagine that scene as I read this scripture. Joshua 1 verse 9. It says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I think that in itself is a word for some people today. It says, do not fear. At first it says, Be courageous, be strong and courageous. But then straight after it also says, do not fear. So I think that in itself is special. The translation uh, that's do not fear is altira. It's actually one of the most commonly used phrases in the Bible. It's be not afraid, altira. And I think that's a word for some people today. We have situations in our lives that do cause fear. And we, we do come up a lot of challenges and barriers and Sometimes we're trying so hard to be brave and overcome the fear, but God says that we actually don't have to be afraid. Not only do we have to be strong and courageous, we actually don't have to fear. So I want to think about the, the situation where I'm, where I'm asking my daughter to jump in the pool with me. So it's actually a bit of work for me. My daughter's going to jump in, I'm going to have to catch her. Um, and if you have young kids, usually if something's fun, they're going to go again, again, again. I'm going to have to catch her again and again and again. Or if she's happy to swim in the pool, I'm going to have to then carry her around in the pool. It's, it's work for me to ask Delilah to jump in the pool. And it's not that I get to do that work that excites me. What I want Delilah to jump in the pool is that she trusts me. That's, the, that's what I get out of her jumping in the pool, that she's willing to obey me and trust me and jump in the pool. That's the joy that I get as, as a father when she jumps in the pool with me. So just imagine Delilah standing there and she's on the edge and she's scared because she's not exactly sure and she's getting scared. If she jumps, in, in her mind, a fear is going to be, if I don't jump a bit short, I'm going to drown. Or if I jump to here, that's going to be her genuine fear. But if Delilah jumps into the water, it's a bit to the left, not exactly where I asked her to jump. Am I just going to be like, oh, I've got another kid. No, that's not where I told you to jump. I'll get the next. No, I'm going to catch my kid. I'm going to catch my daughter, of course. It's the fact that she's jumped in and trusted me that I love. And I think that's a word for for some people. When we're listening to God and God's calling us to jump, God's called you for, for great things. When God's calling you to jump, sometimes we're like, oh, I'm listening, God, but 
oh, I don't know exactly where to go. We want exact clarity in our lives. But don't let a lack of clarity discourage you from jumping. Because God wants you to trust. And when you jump, I promise you he's going to catch you. Thank you. Let there be light. So also, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Um, I'm not saying go do whatever you want in your life and God's got your back. Just go live life. But in his word, it says that when we delight in the Lord, so when we're extremely satisfied with him being Lord of our lives, when we're listening, obeying, when we delight in the Lord, that's when he gives us the desires of our hearts. That's when he succeeds us, when he prospers us, when we delight in the Lord. So another thing that will stop us from jumping, my daughter might be a bit unclear of where she wants to jump, but also just fear, genuine fear of challenges or fear of failure. Um, there's people in all different spheres of life. There's sportsmen and sportswomen, um, businessmen who might be afraid of competition or lack of resource. Creative people could be fear of rejection or, or fear of their art or creativity being misinterpreted. Uh, there's people who have careers and, and jobs might fear not being able to progress or not being able to achieve what you want to do in your profession. For me, I, I played sport. I played footy as a career for the last, I don't know how long, probably eight years of my life. Um, and one thing that is scary as a football player is getting smashed or running the ball, getting hit, or when people are running, running over the top of you. So I want to read a verse that's helped me. I actually had this Bible verse on my mouth guard, and it's Psalms 118, verse 6. <clears throat> Pardon me, verse 6. It says, Whom shall I fear? The Lord is with me. What can man do unto me? So I love this Bible verse. I used to stand there off kickoff, and I, I wanted to make sure that everyone knew that I was, I was giving God glory. Uh, one of the songs that we were singing, it, it's about when, when we give God glory, when we're living for Him, uh, that's when He can bless us. And so in this moment, I'm like, I don't want to do it in my own strength, and I, I'm, I'm scared to do it in my own strength. So I just would own this Bible verse, and I would declare it so that everyone on my team knew and everyone on the other team knew what I was thinking. And that was Psalms 118 verse 6. The Lord is with me. Whom shall I fear? What can man do unto me? And purely because of that, I wasn't a skillful player. I'm definitely not fast. I can't even pass the ball that well. This exact fact was the reason that I was able to play footy. I played with West Tigers juniors and got paid to play. And purely because of that, because I wasn't afraid. I would just run in and tackle and get involved in the middle. So that helped me. And I think that the, the, the fear of just competition or the fear of those things I was mentioning before, I think that's a word for people. Psalms 118 verse 6, the Lord is with you. What can man do unto you? What can competition, what can lack of resource do to you? The last thing that I think stops us from jumping, and I think this is actually one of the hardest things that stops us and, and something that it's hard to grasp of how to get over. But one of the last things that stops us from jumping is us. We look at ourselves, our insecurity, or we, we think of our inadequacy, and we think we're not worthy to jump, especially in Australia. We have a, a strong culture of tall poppy syndrome. We want to cut everyone down, but there is a bit of humili humility in it, and we want to cut ourselves down. We don't think we should stand up, but we're actually called to stand. We're actually called, when we're giving glory to God, we're actually called to stand out. So in Joshua, in, in the Bible verse that they was talking about where um, they were saying to Joshua to not be afraid. He was actually taking over leadership of Moses. Moses had led God's people for about 40 years through the wilderness um, and they were lost and they were broken, they were hurt and jo uh, Joshua was taking over leadership. 
And so in this message here, we, we know Joshua is actually a brave person. Joshua, long story short, um, they got sent to, to go into the promised land and they sent through um, spies to have a look and check it out. And all these people come back and said, no, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. Even though God had promised them that land, they were scared. But Joshua and one other person, Joshua come back and he said, no, we can take him. God's on our side. We can take him. So we know from the Bible that Joshua is a man of faith. He does have faith. So why then was he told to have faith in God, to not be afraid? Don't, don't be scared. Don't be scared. When we know that he's someone who is filled with faith. Well, I think the thing there that he was, he was fearful of, it wasn't that, I don't think he was afraid of what God couldn't do. I think he, he was a faith-filled Christian. I don't think he was scared of what God couldn't do, but I think he was afraid of what the people thought that he couldn't do. And he, his insecurity and inadequacy of himself. But that's why I want to talk about grace. Talk about faith and grace aligning. I think we can be faith-filled Christians and believe that God can but we might feel like we can't. But the thing is, God has called us and graced us so that we can. So the, the Bible verses just before, um, when he tells Joshua not to be afraid, he says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it, left or right, so that you'll be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it night and day, so that you'll be careful to do everything written in it then you'll be prosperous and successful. So when we submit, when we're, when we're meditating on His Word, we're listening to God and we submit and we obey, then we're forgiven and we're graced. But grace isn't just forgiveness. That's one thing I want to try and communicate, that, that grace isn't just forgiveness. Paul talks about this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, he says, "'My grace is sufficient for you. "'My power is made full in your weakness.'" He doesn't say, my grace is sufficient for you, uh, my forgiveness covers your sin. No, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made full in your weakness. Because grace is an empowerment. When we submit to God and God is Lord of our life, He's working through us. So it's about Him. And when, when we stand out, when we do shine, when we're a, a light on the hill, there's a Bible verse that says we're a city on a hill. A light, you don't put a light under a shade or cover it. No, you put it on a lampstand in the middle of the room to fill the whole, the whole room. We're called to be a light. We're actually called to stand out. The problem is when we stand out, we, we think it's about ourselves and we don't want to stand out. We don't want to shine because people will see our faults. People will see our inadequacies. But that's the thing is that when, Lord, when, the, when Jesus is Lord of your life, it's not about who you are. It's not about what you've done. It's about who He is. And it's about what He's done. That's why we can shine. That's why we can stand in boldness. And, and, and strive and achieve and shine. And God will prosper us. That's what he says. God's got your back. He will. When he's Lord of your life and you're pointing to him, he will prosper you. He, he, you will succeed. There's no need to fear. So, yeah, I'm going to ask Sarah to come up um, and, and speak now. But I believe that's a word. Don't let unclarity stop you from jumping. And, and let's not let um, <clears throat> a fear of failure or fear of competition stop us from jumping. And don't let our inadequacies, don't, don't let yourself hold you back because God's graced you, God's called you, and it's about Him. So we can step out and point to Him. Amen. Thank you so much, Luke. 
Um, I don't know if you guys have all had the pleasure of meeting Luke and his lovely wife, Sarah. They're only very recently new to Tamworth. Um, Luke is Darren's nephew, but you should definitely take the time to say hello to them because just like Luke's amazing message there, these people are packed with just authenticity and good quality and conversation. So thank you, Luke. That was a really great word. Um, so I'm Sarah and... I am going to cut all the formalities. That's all you need to know about me because I want to get down to business and go straight to the word. So whether you have a paper Bible or you use your app, can we all go to Matthew chapter 15? And I'm going to read this whole passage through from verse number one to verse 20. While you get that ready, I'm just going to pull my notes out. Okay, verse 1. I'm reading in the NLT version. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honour their parents, and you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. Hypocrites! As I was right when he prophesied about you, he wrote, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship as a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, try and understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and said, you do realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said. And Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and goes to the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil, thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. I just want to take a quick moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the power in it and that when it goes out, it does not return void. Lord, in the short time we have this morning, help us just to unpack some of this scripture to reveal more of you, Jesus. I commit this time to you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Okay, so I don't know about you guys, but that passage actually feels pretty heavy to me. It, Jesus just seems to be all over the place, tangenting. But I actually think when I stopped and I just asked the Holy Spirit to reveal to me what God's talking about here. It's pretty simply down to hands and heart. Just hands and heart. The Pharisees traveled to come and see Jesus. But when they traveled, they're standing in front of the Son of God. Whether they recognize that or not, this is one pretty amazing man. He's been miraculously healing people, feeding thousands with just a few loaves and some fish. He's been walking on water. He's been pardoning sins. He's been blowing up Jewish tradition. Out of everything they could have asked him, they came with a question about washing hands. It seems really small and just 
fluff and insignificant out of anything they could have asked him. But you see, Pharisees were teachers of religious law in the day of Jesus. What they knew and what they understood was law. It was the way they talked. It was the, their moral code. It was the way they lived out their life. Everything was about the law. So when they came with this seemingly insignificant thing about hands, they were just coming with the only weapon they knew how to fight with, the law. They were bringing the law to Jesus. And what's so, so sad about it is they were staring love in the face and they were so distracted by a little law about hands. So I really think that hands are just representative of anything that can take our focus and distract us off of Jesus. Okay? So it seems like Jesus goes all over the place in this scripture, but I have a theory that the whole time he's just wanting to point out and debunk these distractions off of the truth, these focuses on hands, okay? So I've got four quick points I want to try and unpack with you today. We've got comparison, cultural continuity, putting on a show and offence. So number one, if everyone can say it with me, this first example of hands, comparison. Can we all say comparison? Okay, nice work. You guys aced it. So verse two again. Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Okay, we've talked about hands, but it's something else that I want to focus on here. The Pharisees pointed their fingers at who? The disciples. The first thing they did was point their fingers at the disciples. They could have pointed their fingers at Jesus, but they didn't point their finger at the superior. They actually pointed their fingers at their equal. Because if Pharisees were students or studiers of the law, disciples were students and studiers of Jesus. Okay? So straight away, hands, they're distracted on the Saviour and the Messiah in front of them by focusing on their peers and their equal. I think with each of these points that they actually can apply to each of us today. And so, for example, if they're looking to the side of them, they're actually going to be distracted from what God's called them to do right in front of them. And we can do the same thing. When we start comparing ourselves to the person next to us, oh, am I as good as them? Or are they better than me? Or um, I need to push them down to put myself up. Or, oh, I could never do what they're doing. We're actually stepping out of our God design because God has individual talents and giftings and equippings that are on you. They are not on the person next to you. That person has their own unique, beautiful design and set of giftings and callings. But if you're focusing on theirs, you're handicapping your own. So we have to get our eyes off of them so that we can actually function as the part of the body of Christ we're designed to be. And when we function in our own individuality, then corporately, the body of Christ becomes so much healthier and will thrive and bloom and grow and we can actually get to where our trajectory is set. We can walk forward because we're not so focused to the person to the the side of us. So that's point number one. That was comparison. Next, if you can say this with me, cultural continuity. Cultural continuity. Okay, going down to verses five and six. Got to power through here today, people. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honour their parents and you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. Tradition. So what's going on here? Jesus flat out 
calls the Pharisees on their tradition that they have actually started to glorify it above the Word of God, and that nullifies or cancels the Word of God out. See, I think when we think about tradition in our current day and age, we usually think of um, a custom or a belief that's been handed on from generation to generation. But the truth is that there is um, another definition I love in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, and it says, cultural continuity in social attitudes, customs, and institutions. Cultural continuity. What are we permissing in our everyday culture that actually becomes a pattern or a belief or a behaviour that we're then justifying? When we do that, it becomes a tradition. And what's so dangerous about that is how it cancels the Word of God working in our lives. Okay, we're moving on. Point three, putting on a show. If we jump to verses eight and nine, people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Putting on a show. Jesus flat out calls the Pharisees for what they are, hypocrites. Are we allowing hypocrisy in our life? Maybe in a way that we don't even see it because we put on a show. Is it the way we filter our Instagram posts or our words or let people see the best part of our lives but we're hiding the mess in the back corner that we take a photo of the perfect corner in the lounge room but we've got all the washing behind us. Maybe that's on a surface level, our hypocrisy. But what about when people ask how you are? And we don't really tell them that it's been a really tough week. I fell a little bit apart yesterday. But we go, yeah, no, it's all good. It's fine. I've got it all together. Is that actually hypocrisy? Because we're trying to hold it together in our own pride and we're back on hands. We're focusing on the filter and the stuff instead of letting people authentically see who we are. The truth is people will connect way better to your realness and your reality than they will the show that you give them. Okay, point number four, my final one before we see how Jesus addressed all of this. Say it with me, offence, offence. So verse 12, then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realise you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? We've got two kinds of offence going on here. Number one, the disciples were worried Jesus had offended the Pharisees. How do we allow worry uh, of offending others, keeping us from moving out in the will of God on our life? So like if there is calling, and there is calling on every single one of you in the room, don't even worry if you don't feel like you've 100% figured out what the calling is. Just get the car out of the garage and start driving and trust Jesus to take the wheel. There is calling on your life, but we can't let fear of what others around us think, fear of offending them, stop us from acting out in obedience to the will of God. So number one is fear of causing offence, but also that the Pharisees were offended. We can't allow offence to become the garment we wear because while ever we're wearing offence, we cannot wear the righteousness that Jesus bought for us on the cross. So we have to take off that offence. We have to go give that to Jesus because it's hands again. We're distracted of what Jesus bought for us, the price He paid, that we are free and we are forgiven. We are made in His image and we get to put that image on every single day because we're made in His likeness now. So all these distractions, did Jesus actually ever really change the subject when He starts 
unpacking all of this from comparison to cultural continuity, putting on a show and offence. I don't think so. It was all distracting the Pharisees of what they were really called to be, just sons of God. That's it. Sons of God wasn't about what they do. It wasn't about the law. It was about that love was staring them in the face. And this is how Jesus addressed it. He just got, (laughs) Jesus wasn't being impatient with the people. He was fed up with the sin. He was fed up with their focus on all of the, all of the distractions, just all of the laws. And he was saying, just let love be the answer. And he puts it straight down to the heart, verses 18 to 20. But the words you speak come from the heart. That is what defiles you. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Just to prove he never changed the subject, he finishes with hands. But tall order, Jesus. Like, it's about the heart and you're telling me all this junk is in there. We've got evil thoughts and murder and sexual immorality and theft and lying and slander. Like, what hope do we have? It's about communion with him. It's just as simple as that. It's all about relationship and eye-to-eye contact. You cannot be looking down at your hand and maintain eye contact with the person in front of you. So what I want to ask is if everyone in the room can just look down at your hands. Examine them. Look at the palms. Count your fingers. Make sure you've got 10. Just keep looking down at your hands. If Jesus walked in the room right now and he walked right by you, you would hardly see him because you're looking down at your hands. They're distracting you from everything else that's happening in the room. What do we have in our lives that we're allowing to distract us from what the Saviour is trying to do in our life today? What is it? Is it something like comparing yourself to your work colleague? Is it something you're allowing in your culture? Is it gossip? Is it turning your back on the new person? Is it cutting corners in the workplace? Is it putting on a show? Is it wanting to look like you've got it together and you don't? doesn't matter if it's small or it's big if it's hurt or it's pain just as you're looking down at your hands whatever that distraction is for you imagine that it's sitting in your hands now and we just want to bring it to the foot of the cross and I want to pray with you all and if if you agree with this prayer just say amen with me at the end Jesus thank you so much that you just debunked and unpacked and shut down all of these laws and these distractions off of the truth of your word and who you are. Thank you so much you came and paid the price because the truth is anything that could represent hands in our life, any need, any hurt, any pain, you have the answer for. Heaven has every commodity we need. The only thing that heaven asks of us is that we give you our heart. Jesus, you are the only one that can make us clean. Just like Luke said before, it's nothing that we've done, but it's who you are. So Lord, we come and we just lay our hands. We lay those distractions at the foot of the cross. And we ask that what you bought for us on the cross becomes our reality. That we take on the image of Jesus. And as we make eye to eye contact with you, Lord, as we walk face to face with you, we'll be transformed into your image. We thank you so much that you love us that much just to meet us where we're at today. 
And we give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.